Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. I think they, they went out of fashion massively just around the turn of the millennium. And, uh, you know, when uh, Fanson was writing his novel, he, he writes about a guy who just gets rid of all his Frankfurt School books, takes them down the second-hand bookshop and, you know, trades them in for a few quid and then uh, because he thinks they're irrelevant. And then sort of fast forward into 2008, you know, the massive financial collapse. And there's a massive rise in interest in radical critiques of, of society. You know, Marx's Das Kapital, the, the sales set in the past of 10 years have been massive and sales for, the, for these guys to arise in, you know, in the Frankfurt School because their critique of capitalism is now regarded as being something it wasn't before and it's now regarded as being relevant because, you know, we've, we've witnessed firsthand how we've been exploited by a failing banking system and how we've had to bail out all these banks and you know, how our financial system seemed to have worked for our benefit but actually didn't and we've all suffered through the austerity years. So it makes these books seem, make, make Frankfurt School seem what they weren't, you know, that they're now seem incredibly relevant to us today, even though they've been dead for about the past part of 40 years. To be happy is to be able to become aware of oneself without fright. The arresting words of German-Jewish philosopher, author and essayist Walter Benjamin. Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company this evening. Well, on tonight's show, I have two expansive and hugely engaging writers and thinkers for you to meet. One a financial scholar, the other a cultural critic. Writers with tremendous vision, clarity and originality. Stuart Jeffries unpacks the relevance of the Frankfurt School to how we live today. And William Gritzman, the director of the Yale School of Management, talks his latest book, Money Changes Everything, How Finance Made Civilization Possible, published by Princeton University Press. This is a show about big ideas, consumer culture and the contribution of finance to modern civilization. But first, who and what is a Frankfurt School? Hello, um, I'm Stuart Jeffries. I'm a freelance journalist, mostly for The Guardian in, uh, in London. And I'm the author of two very different books. One was called uh, Mrs. Slocum's Pussy, Growing Up in Front of the Telly. And this one, my new book, is called Grand Hotel Abyss, The Lives of the Frankfurt Schoolmen. It's about this bunch of German-Jewish thinkers growing up in the Weimar Republic and how they resisted consumer capitalism and how they were caught up with Hitler and had to go into exile and how they reflected on those terrible experiences in their lives and uh, what they thought about the rise of Soviet socialism and what they thought about how American society worked. Smashing biography, Stuart. Uh, incredibly stimulating. I have to say it's one of the first uh, group biographies I've ever read. So um, I enjoyed uh, playing with the pages and getting to know each of the personalities. I mean, you've a very um, uh, novel way of bringing them all in and out of each other's lives. And they're such complex characters. There's a terrific quote on the book sleeve of the book. It's from Walter Benjamin, the German-Jewish philosopher, one of the, the key members of the Frankfurt School. And he said something on the lines of, the only way of knowing a person is to love them without hope. thought that was extraordinarily insightful and so relevant. Do you agree with that or what do you make of it? Well, I think he's just a 
completely reckless thinker, and he'll, he'll say things are actually, actually really interesting and breaking because it just it's like a bomb rolled into our idea of what, what love is. You know, love is you're supposed to be able to share everything with the beloved. You know, you're supposed to think that you can change them, you, that, that they can become your soulmate. And, and, and he's actually saying the opposite. He's saying that, you know, you can't. Your aspirations to change somebody will not be realized in this world. So it's, 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 it's both romantic and utopian. You know, it's utopian in the sense that the love you have for somebody else is never going to be realized the way you hope it's going to be realized in this in this fallen world, you know. And it's, it's a terrifying, terrifying thought, but it's rather like a lot of the Frankfurt School's thinking. It's just very, very bracing, you know, about your, your fundamental beliefs. So what drew you, Stuart, to the Frankfurt School and why a group biography to tell their story? Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote it just because I was asked to, actually. The publisher suggested this idea to me. And I thought, actually, you know what? I don't know anything about these guys. I'm supremely ill-qualified to write about it. I always say this, you know, I'm three ways unqualified. I'm, I'm not German, I'm not Jewish, and I'm not, and I'm not an academic. And most of the writings about the Frankfurt School were written by Germans, Jews, and, and uh, you know, professors for, for the most part. What, what really to it was to fill a gap, really, to find out what... what you know, I heard these names like Benjamin and Adorno and Marcus. I didn't really know much about them. So steeping myself in, in, in their lives uh, and, and in their thoughts was, you know, it's quite a seductive thing to be able to do. And, and, and I was getting paid to do it, you know, what a treat. So I, I did that. But what emerged through the writing, I think, was, or, the, or rather the research, was thinking that there is an incredible narrative, pretty much the narrative of the 20th century up, so up till now, telling their life stories and all the travails they went through, you know, be it the sort of growing up in Germany, the rise of Hitler, being forced to leave the homeland and reinvent themselves in the States. You know, they, 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 they're, they're witnesses to the most important events of the 20th century and you can tell the, their life stories through those events and how, how they change and how, 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 they, how their lives are defined by all these awful things that are happening to them. It's interesting as well, you said it's a group of the, and it is, and that's what's really weird about it. You don't really get that sort of, you know, you get a biography of a person, but actually I think to tell, and those have been done in a lot of these cases, a lot of the characters in the book have had their own, you know, massive biographies. But there isn't this sort of momentum all the way through the 20th century with these guys that I think I've got in this book. You know, it's like a great story to tell, and hopefully it's the first time it's been done. Stuart, I loved reading about Eric Fromm. He was the yeah. uh, psychologist of the bunch and he also was a humanistic uh, philosopher. He's yeah. quite an expansive thinker and a very prolific writer. He believed that creativity requires the courage to let go of certainties. I thought that was terrific. Yeah, yeah. He's lovely. I mean, he, 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 he uh, fell out with the, with, with the hardcore of the Frankfurt School because he was kind of a utopian, not a utopian, he, he, he believed that, that, that we can change. The, the rest of the Frankfurt School are very pessimistic about human capacity for change, mainly because they've witnessed you know, the rise of Hitler. So they've, they've got a quite jaundiced perspective on what human life is like. He, apart from anything else, he writes beautifully, if you, as, you, as you say, you know, and, and he writes beautifully in his second language, and he writes in, in English, having reinvented himself. And he's just got this lovely commitment to improving ourselves and, 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 be, and becoming better human beings and, and also better social beings. And he's writing all, all these sort of things at, at a time when you would expect people to despair. You expect somebody of his life experiences, he's driven out of Germany, he's a Jew, driven out of Germany, has to reinvent himself in the States. You expect him to despair. And he, and, he, and he doesn't, and that's actually, he's one of the more touching characters in the, in, in the Frankfurt School, really. Did you read One Dimensional Man, um, Herbert Marcuse's 1964 book? Presumably you did. I did indeed, yeah. And it, what it, did you make of it? 
Well, it's it's a fascinating book. There are lots of things in it which are really still pertinent, but, you know, it came out in 64, and it's very much of its time. So he, he's writing about civil rights struggles, and he's writing about, you know, um, the rise of, sort of sexualized culture, you know, the rise of miniskirt and all that kind of stuff. And he's writing, most importantly, I think, about how... Why is, you know, he's trying to ask himself, why isn't there a socialist revolution in, the, in these Western countries where everybody's exploited by, you know, capitalism? Why, why, you know, why not? And, the, and his answer is very simple. We're too comfortable. We've become, you know, we've become too comfortable with our washing machines, our TVs and things like that. And it's an indictment of the society he lives in, particularly because he's at that stage in his life. He's exiled and he's living in, in California and teaching in California. And he, he kind of loathes lots of stuff about California. So there's this kind of old world, old European critique of this consumerist culture. And it's quite hard to take in some respects because it's very elitist. You know, he's, he's, he's quite snobbish about the culture he's seeing. He doesn't really like American literature. He doesn't really like American cinema. He doesn't like, he doesn't understand as far as I can understand American pop culture. But at the same time, he nails a lot of things. You know, he's, he's, he's bang on with stuff like racism. He's bang on with stuff like... Uh, you know, how people are corrupted by, by their possessions, which is a, a, a abiding theme of the Frankfurt School. But, you know, it, it, what is it now? It's, it's, it's 53 years old, that book. And so it does read in some respects in quite a dated way. Some of the arguments resonate with how we're living today. Yeah. Through, we're living through consuming, how we, how we identify with brands rather than other things. How we, you know, our sense of personal identity and so on is very mixed with what we're purchasing and our purchasing power, isn't it? Absolutely. And, 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 I mean, that's, that's, you, you're dead right. That's what's worth saving about this book. And in, indeed, about, about a lot of the Frankfurt School, what, what's, what's relevant to, to us today about their writing is how they nail us as consumers, you know, how we become people who, yeah, we define, we, we, we define ourselves not through, you know, the books we've read or, or, or the conversations we've had or, or, or anything like that. We define ourselves through, you know, what, what brand of iPhone we've got, you know, what, what kind of model of iPhone we've got, what car we drive and all that sort of stuff. So all the way through the Frankfurt School, they're saying this, they're saying that, we have been corrupted. We've been bought off cheap. You know, this, we, 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 we've just become consumerists and we don't even realise what's happened to us. We don't realise that we're being exploited by a capitalist system, which has erased the sort of ideological nature of what's happening to us. And that's what's terribly painful to read. And, uh, and, and you know, it's, it's absolutely resonant to us right now, I think. What do you think is Walter Benjamin's contribution to intellectual history? You write very amusingly on his private life. You you mention yeah. how he was obsessed with love triangles and he oh, literally yeah. caught with his trousers down on lots of different occasions with friends, <laughs> wives, etc. But he was an extraordinarily complex guy, very prone to depression and yeah. despair. He you you argue that suicide was a spectre that stalked Benjamin's adult life. It's very sad, I- isn't it, considering all he had to offer. Absolutely. I mean, one of the great tragedies of the book is that, you know, he died in 1940 on the run from the Gestapo and he took his own life. He, he, he got over the Pyrenees, you know, he's fleeing to America. His mates, you know, from the Frankfurt School had already managed to set themselves up in New York. They got an apartment ready for him to move into and he thought he was going to get caught just as he got over the Pyrenean border from occupied France into, into Spain. He thought they were going to send him back and he thought that if he got sent back, he would wind up in a death camp. So he took his own life. And it's one of the great tragedies. But as you say, you know, the, 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 su- the spectre of suicide was hanging over him throughout his life. He had close friends who, who, who were lovers who committed, committed suicide and he wrote poems about them, very moving poems about them. And he, he also was part of a German tradition, which, in which lots of people thought about suicide as, a, as an option. You know, Goethe's Sorrows of the Young Goethe, you know, it's steeped in suicide and suicide is a romantic option. 
And so, yeah, he was a very depressive character, and his writing is always very depressive. And he's the genius behind, you know, I would argue he's the genius behind the whole Frankfurt School operation. Everybody else, yeah, I think so. Everybody else is writing footnotes to to his thoughts, really. It struck me as I was progressing through through the book that, in a lot of ways, he's the most unrecognised figure of the lot yeah. of the Frankfurt School. And when we consider his accomplishments, it's it's almost that his own peers didn't recognise him within the school. Is that it? You think? Yeah, perhaps. I mean, he, he was isolated. He, unlike them, you know, he he was never he never got a, a, a you know teaching post, university post. He was he was always intellectual gunslinger in the margins. You know, he was always out there, but never really part of the system. He was criticising. You know. Was Whereas the people who followed him, you know, Adorno and Horkheimer, who had a great debt to him intellectually, and I think they did recognise the, the, the debt that they owed. You know, they, they were recognised and they were fated and they got they got tenure and they got all, you know, the academic posts and all that. And, he, he, you know, he spent the, the last 10 years of his life on the run from Nazis and wandering around Europe in this rather picaresque, tragic way, very poor, writing some of the most influential essays, you know, in Marxist theory, in cultural theory, which are still read, you know, very, very closely today and still regarded as having a lot to say to us today. Those articles, those essays he wrote, were ones that were really unpacked into books by, by later Frankfurt School philosophers. They expanded his gnomic thoughts into great big books, really, and they sort of profited in a way from the ideas that he had when they came back to Germany after the war. You reference a lovely, uh, lovely passage or a lovely few lines from Theodore Adorno. He was one of the other main philosophers of the bunch. And he wrote yes. that um, for a man who no 